Become spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men-at-arms, and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min-maxers, horny bards, and blood-soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role-playing games here on Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, where we are making old school young again. I am your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, the R-N-O-S-R, and joining me (laughs) this evening is someone who surely needs no introduction to the Boneheads of the world. You may know him uh, from trying to embarrass me in my chat. Uh, He is, of course, the Netherlands' number one sex symbol, uh, yeah. <laughs> the great and powerful Victor Gorchev. Welcome to Rolling Bones. Yeah, thanks. And uh, hey, everyone. Everyone that's watching. I have no idea how many people are watching, but... <laughs> and uh, yeah, that says that says a lot about the Netherlands if I'm the number one sex symbol. God damn. Jeez, how <laughs> ugly is everyone? <laughs> I did not mean to insult your country that way. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's fine. I insult my own country all the time. I don't really like it, so yeah. All good. <laughs> Alrighty, well, of course, uh, we have to start the show the same way we start every show. You know mm-hmm. the drill, you've been around. Uh, yeah. So, let's begin at the beginning here. Vic, how did you get into role-playing games? Um, I used to play, well, I still do to a degree, I used to play these online text games called MUTS, Multi-User Dungeons. Yep. Uh, you know, like the old um, the old text adventure games like Zork and stuff like that? Yeah. It's kind of like that, but online multiplayer. And uh, I just started playing a couple that were like Shadowrun-based. And uh, the people that ran it would actually, like, take the characters and run, like, you know, missions for them. Like, Shadow ones, you know, we would get to infiltrate, like, corporate headquarters and, you know, do our thing. So, yeah, I, I, I started playing Shadow One, like I said. Uh, it was fun. Um, then I visited some friends in the US. Uh, I got to play 3.5 D&D for, like, a month. And, uh, yeah, after that, I was just kind of, like, addicted. And I started, like, you know, finding uh, books on this stuff, like... Uh, I would download like PDFs for for uh, GURPS, D20 Modern, uh, Call of Cthulhu, and even though I had like nobody to play with, I would just like read through them, and uh, yeah, <laughs> now I'm here. Now now that finally we can, you know, all the tools are available to like play online like way easier that weren't around in like the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I finally get to like you know live my dream of being a tabletop role player and creator. So yeah. <laughs> so I I take it from that that. As you were growing up, there there weren't really that many people who were playing RPGs around you. Was that accurate uh, to say? I, I didn't know anyone. Like, I still to this day, I don't know anyone in real life that plays. Uh, I know a couple of other Dutch people online that say that they have, like, real-life games going, but they've just been lucky, I guess, because I've never found anyone. The closest that I ever found was people that played, like, Warhammer 40k, because hmm. uh, in the town I lived in, there was, like, a store that sold, like, 40k stuff, and but it was just, like, all 40k. It wasn't, like, a general game shop. It was literally just 100%, like, 40k and Warhammer Fantasy. So, yeah, that's that's the closest I ever got to, like, that kind of, like, scene. 
Yeah, we've we've actually got one of those here in uh, in Nashville. There's a there's mm-hmm. a Games Workshop store. So yeah, yep. But yeah, it's I always find it interesting. Like when I had uh, Diogo Nogueira on the show uh, talking about what like gaming is like in Brazil, I always find it interesting where what countries you can actually find groups in what countries it just seems like there's no penetration at all yeah and then there's the uk which seems like gaming heaven to someone like me yeah uh uk is pretty big uh germany is fairly big uh, they even have their own game the dark eye uh but yeah for some reason the netherlands always kind of like fell uh fell to the wayside as far as that stuff goes as far as I know, at least there might be a Dutch guy who's like, oh, no, there's like a huge scene in Amsterdam. It's like, well, I've never been in Amsterdam once in my life, even though I live in the Netherlands. So, you know, <laughs> don't look at me. Mm. <laughs> I'm a rural boy. So, yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that that plays uh, kind of a big role in it as well. Yeah. Like, yeah. If you've never been to Amsterdam, then yeah, there's. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> doesn't matter if they game in Amsterdam. It might as well be gaming in, like, the moon yeah. at that point. Yeah, if pretty you much. just never go there. Yeah, if you're, like, a dean and all you have is a bicycle, it's like, I'm not going to cycle to Amsterdam. <laughs> so we... <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And and that's another thing that's weird to me, because, again, grew up in America, specifically in the southeast, where you can't walk to anything. Everything's spread yeah. out. So, like, I had a car as soon as I was 16. So. Yeah. Yeah, well, legal driving age is like eighteen here, so even that, uh, even that uh, takes you a bit longer to get there. Yeah, absolutely. So you you've mentioned a couple games specifically, like you know Shadowrun three point five. Uh, but yeah. of all the games that you have you know encountered in your gaming career, what would you say is your favorite? Uh, right now, probably Savage Worlds uh, Adventure uh, Adventure Edition. It's just so good. It's just so flexible. It's mm-hmm. it's uh, deceptively simple. Like if if you if you just play a, the base game, it's very simple. It's very easy to learn. But there's so much depth to it if you actually start digging, like all these like little side systems and all these little side rules. And uh, yeah, you can use it for anything from fantasy to modern to sci-fi to uh, urban fantasy, like all sorts of stuff. So. And that's kind of the games that I was drawn to even early on. Like I said, D20 Modern, GURPS, uh, like those kinds of games that like basically were like setting, setting neutral almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, games like that, especially ones that pull it off, are really yeah. uh, something special. Because um, there are some games that are like setting agnostic, but just kind of feel like gray goo. Yeah. Where you, you're really like... I feel that way. I know we're going to talk a lot about like running 5e in a modern context, but I feel like when people try to fit other genres into 5e, for the most part, it kind of comes off as just yeah, reskinned this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. But like Savage Worlds really kind of nails it, especially when it comes to any like really pulpy setting, like westerns, yeah, definitely. 1920s, yep. yeah, yep. Uh, I ran a bunch of one-shots that were set in, like, the 1930s with mine. They were, like, kind of, like, my take on, like, the Lovecraft mythos with, like, diesel punk elements. But yeah. everyone was, like, way more heroic than in <laughs> Call of Cthulhu. I don't like the whole, like, oh, I'm a scaredy-cat New Englander and he's, I see something bumping in the night and I faint. Like, no, I want to, like, be the hard-boiled detective who shoots it with a Tommy gun, you know? Yeah. So. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, like, I'm right there with you. That's That's kind of been my hang-up about even playing Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. 
I know that's the big one where when I say I've never played Call of Cthulhu, people kind of like clutch their pearls and faint. Yep. But yep, same. That's always been my hang up with it is like, oh, I'm, I'm going to play a researcher who at the first sign of trouble is going to piss their pants. That doesn't sound yeah. like fun to me. No, that sounds like something I would do in real life if I saw something scary. Yeah, but I don't I don't want to do that in my games. Mm-hmm. I want to be badass. <laughs> Absolutely. So when it comes to and we've actually talked about this on Legion of Myth, but when it comes mm-hmm. to running your games and then playing in games, I know we all kind of have our own styles that we, uh, you know, adopt as we get into this hobby, but. What would you say your play style is as a GM, and then what kind of games do you like to play in as a player? Uh, hmm. I'm kind of mission oriented as a, even as a player and as a GM. I I like giving the the PCs like a specific task to do. I like when they're like members of some sort of organization, and it's like, okay, gang, today's mission is, uh, you know, uh, you you have to kill uh, this evil scientist who's like making a, a virus that's turning everything into zombies, and you have to go there to his secret island lair, and you have to shoot him in the face. Do you accept this mission? And then you know the the envelope burns into uh, bursts into flames. So I kind of like that. I don't really like the whole like you're sitting around in the inn and something maybe comes up if you like start asking about rumors or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like you know. I, I like when they're part of like a specific, uh, like like I said, an organization, and they just they just work for uh, that group, and that's also what I like as a player. Mm-hmm. Like I like being a witcher. I like being you know a member of Monsanto International, like you know yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, I I am going to put a pin in that because we will come back to that as soon as mm-hmm. we uh, finish the introductory questions. Sure. Because um, that gets into something very. Uh, that that I find very necessary in modern set RPGs. But moving on to the next introductory question, we all get into this hobby and you know put time into playing these games and planning these games and doing shows like this because we love this hobby so much and we yep. love it because of our our memories that we have with it. So if you had to pick a fondest RPG memory, what would that be? Ah, fondest RPG memory, hmm. Probably one of the first times I played Shadowrun, uh, we were being sent on a mission, and one of the party members was an insane orc, and he decided, like, hey, stop here at this uh, 7-Eleven, I want to get, like, a slushy." And everyone's like, okay, well, we've got time. So we stop at the 7-Eleven, and he goes up to the register and pulls out his fucking hand cannon and just <laughs> holds up the place. And we're just, like, all in there, like, uh, what the fuck, dude? And then the, the guy behind the register hits, like, you know, his panic button, and um, uh, Lone Star SWAT shows up. <laughs> so so we're held up in this 7-Eleven with SWAT outside, like, ready to, like, come in with flashbangs and, like, you know, machine guns and kill us all. And everyone's getting ready to basically, like, you know, have this last stand against Lone Star SWAT. And I'm like, no, like, I don't want to die. So I basically, like, found a way to, like, sneak out of the back and, like, escape. And I left my team to die. (laughs) (laughs) And my character basically listened from, like, a street over as, like, Lone Star SWAT, like, raided this place and, like, killed everyone. And I was, like, the only survivor. And, you know, I got to go on, like, all these other adventures. (laughs) <laughs> and, uh, yeah, for some reason that was my favorite mission. Just like, yeah, no, I'm not going to die for this random orc that I don't even know. Like, fuck this. I'm out, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. So I still think about that a lot for some reason. That was just, that was just fun. <laughs> yeah. And that's one of those situations where like, that's an unforced error on the player's yeah. part. Like you don't, yeah. 
I, I can't imagine... Well, I can't imagine what possesses a player to say, let's stop here so I can get a slushy, and then I'm going to shoot up this gas station. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, I... I get the lizard brain impulse that drives a player mm-hmm. to do that. Uh, but like as someone who's been in campaigns where chaos gaming has gotten out of hand, yeah. uh, I'm just like, why would you do that? You know what's yeah. going to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, for some reason, everyone went along with it. It's like, well, well, let's have a last stand against SWAT then. And yeah. I'm like, no, no, I, I, wanna, I want my character to survive. I want to actually go on Shadow Ones and not just die in a 7-Eleven, sorry. So I just left everyone to fucking get killed. I mean, and nobody was mad at me. They were all laughing, but yeah. <laughs> Got to play smart. Yeah. And then the uh, the last of these introductory questions here. Mm-hmm. Um, I will confess, this might be the first time on Rolling Bones I've been kind of afraid of what the answer might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what's coming. It can be as philosophical yeah. or sophomoric as you want it to be, but Vic... If you could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? Well, for one, obviously, your handsome face. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, with that one quote that I, that I said and I already forgot. Uh, uh, I said, uh, Ryan, Ryan Howard is white and handsome, I think it was, yes. something like that. Yeah. It was the first time I was on yeah. Legion of Myth. It was my first interaction with you. Yeah. You said, Ryan <laughs> is right and handsome. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, uh, well, damn, that's my t-shirt. Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be a good t-shirt. But no, um, I would also probably get some of the art that I've gotten this year for like uh, my book on there. There's a picture that I really like that uh, uh, an artist did. It's basically uh, uh, Bert Gamma from Tremors as a half-orc uh, nice. posing on top of a dead troll. I specifically requested that. I wanted a <laughs> half-orc Bert Gamma. And that picture is amazing. I love that picture. And it would look great on the t-shirt. So yeah, probably that. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, I already kind of selected the uh, the beginning topic here, but you mentioned yeah. in in discussing your play style that you like having kind of a mission structure. Yeah, I find that when it comes to modern RPGs, one of the first lessons you have to learn is that while it's a little bit easier to have a band of wandering, heavily armed individuals in a fantasy setting. In the modern world, those are called, like, gangs. So, yeah, or terrorists. <laughs> or militias. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It, I like that you have already set up this idea of, in specifically modern set RPGs, you have to have some kind of hard framing device, because you're not just yeah. going to be sitting around in some bar, I guess, unless you live in Tennessee like I do. Yeah with your machine guns and stuff all around you, e- even in Tennessee, yeah. uh, depending on the city, people might be like, what are you doing? Mm, yeah. Yeah, in my modern games that I currently run, uh, I have one group that are like vigilantes that work for a mysterious benefactor that's just a voice on a laptop, kind of like Charlie's Angels type stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have another group that are uh, professional exterminators. And since it's like, you know, a fantasy-related setting, uh, extermination is a lot dang- more dangerous because you're dealing with giant spiders and rampaging owl bears and not just like rats and cockroaches, you know yeah. what I mean? So, uh, and you know, undead and stuff like that. And then uh, I have another group that are like uh, Black Ops Special Forces uh, guys that work for like basically the, the, the fantasy version of MI6. So yeah, like all of that is very like 
mission oriented and you're part of like a literal like you know a group a company a faction like so yeah yeah it's all of the like the 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 tropes that you've kind of set up there or the the framing devices you've set up there those are all like classic as far as places where you would pull your like modern rpg ideas from because when i think of like modern environments that would make for good rpgs i think of like the a-team i think of mission impossible uh james bond there's a great james bond rpg by the way people Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah i mean it, it goes back to my theory that when you are moving from genre to genre you have to fully embrace the genres that you find yourself in and when it comes to anything modern that involves like heavy ordinance you are essentially going to find yourself in some kind of black ops or paramilitary yeah type situation just to like justify the fact that yes you are a bunch of like heavily armed ass kickers in a modern setting yeah yeah and even then there's no guarantee that the police or whatever won't come after you right. like if you're just like you know some mercenary bands like you know the expendables and you'd like you know you go into the city for a mission and you start shooting up the place uh yeah you'll probably have law enforcement come after you maybe even the fbi maybe even uh you know uh something scarier like you know you'll have a five five star wanted level like in gta yeah. and all of a sudden the national guard shows up like who knows <laughs> mm-hmm so uh, Lou Alou here in chat from Dandelion Games uh, asks if you're familiar with uh, Top Secret New World Order, uh, Merle Rasmussen's game. Uh, I, I know about Top Secret. I've heard about it, but I've never looked into it. And uh, so New World Order is like, what, a new a new uh, release, I guess, or a new product? Yeah, so the, the original like Top Secret IP stayed with TSR and Wizards of the Coast by extension. Yeah. Um, but... Merle Rasmussen was the original kind of father of Top Secret. He has his own game called New World Order, like Top Secret New World Order, that is, like, he he runs it at North Texas every year. That's Mm -hmm. his continue, his spiritual successor to Top Mm -hmm. Secret. So uh, I'll have to look into it. If it's something I like, I will definitely consider doing something for it. I I want to I want to be pretty versatile with my whole. uh, my whole, you know, t- tabletop writing stuff. I want to write stuff for Savage Worlds. I want to do stuff for OSR. I want to do 5e. Like, whatever, like, allows... Me, whatever has, like, a good open game license and allows me to just, like, you know, release my own stuff, I'm, I'm pretty interested in. So, yeah, I'll have to look into it. Hmm. Now, something... Something I've not looked into myself, but I do wonder what, like, the community around it is. Classified as the, uh... The hacked version of the James Bond RPG. Mm. Do, do you know if there's any kind of, like, community around that besides just people running the old James Bond modules? Um, not, not, not one that I've encountered. I mean, there might be, like, some weird, like, forum somewhere where all these guys come together and talk about Classified and James Bond, but I haven't really seen it on Twitter or anywhere, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was afraid of that. Yeah. I, I think that game has been largely forgotten by people who mm-hmm. weren't there to play it originally, unfortunately. I actually had, uh, uh, so I've been doing ads uh, on Facebook for my uh, upcoming Kickstarter, and I actually had, like, a guy comment on, like, one of my ads and talking about, like, oh, if you want to do modern, just play, like, you know, the James Bond game. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Which, 
and, and here's the thing, and here's why I think what you're doing with simple modernity and, and your, your 5e gear and guns stuff is valuable. James Bond is a great game, but it's on the crunchy side. Yeah. It's a little bit difficult to learn. It's it, You can tell it was made in the 80s. It's very much got that 80s RPG vibe of, like, it, it's having the Dungeon Master roll a lot of dice for the players. Yeah, I'm not, it's I'm not got, the final dead. <laughs> it's got mechanics on top of mechanics on top of mechanics to the point where... Yeah. And, and this is one of the things that when I was reading it, I, I liked the book, but I rolled my eyes. It has a whole separate, like, minigame mechanic just for gambling, for each yeah. individual game you play at the casino. And I was just like, I'm not I'm not yeah. going to be playing a separate dice game to simulate poker in the middle we'll of our about. RPG. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I got you. Yeah, a lot of those games, like Traveler and stuff, it was like, back then it was like ultra nerds that were like writing this stuff. Because it wasn't as accessible as it is now. You can, you know, now you can just like uh, uh, buy Affinity or like you know install Scribus and uh, you know get something to uh, inspire you, and you can start writing a game. Back then, you had to be like ultra nerdy to even consider doing that. So hmm. that's why you got stuff like Traveler, which literally like involves like doing math for space travel and shit like that. So yeah. <laughs> so uh, talk a little bit. Since I brought it up, talk a little bit about Simple Modernity, the product that's now available on DriveThru uh, for for people's enjoyment. Um, well, I was writing the 5e one, and um, I was getting introduced to the OSR, basically, by knowing the basic experts, by knowing Crossface, like all the other guys from uh, the Gilded server. Hmm. Uh, and uh, I actually played a couple of games of Old School Essentials, and I was like, yeah, this is fun. Like, you know, it's definitely old school, but it's it's very rules light. It's very flexible. Like, I'm enjoying it. And then I was just like, you know what? I'm already doing all this work for the 5e book. I can easily take some of it and just adapt it to the OSR. You know, just kind of as a test one. Um, see how I like it. See how easy it is. And then maybe use it off, use it as a jumping off point to do like a bigger OSR project in the future. Uh so yeah, that's basically what I did. I wrote, I made it in like two weeks, I think, uh, and that a lot of that was just doing the layout. The writing was done pretty quick, and uh, I just put it up for sale, and people seemed to like it. It just hit coppers on uh, Drive to RPG a couple weeks ago, so yeah, I get a lot of compliments on it. I was actually looking at it the other day because I'm using a lot of the mechanics for the cyberpunk thing that I'm doing now, and I was like, eh, I'm gonna tweak some of this because. <laughs> you know, this is stuff that I wrote months ago, and my my understanding of certain things has evolved even since then. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Now, how do you think uh, like OSR rule sets fare when you add gunplay to the mix? Do you do you think they still kind of work out pretty well? Um, it, mm, some people might not agree with me because there's a lot of different takes on how guns should work in uh, games. Like some people s- say this should be like ultra lethal and like you know just a single bullet will just instantly like kill anyone, which I don't really agree with. But uh, in my experience, it hasn't been too hard. I just had to maybe add a couple of extra mechanics, but the the core was like already there because you you basically just take like you know the rules for like shooting crossbows and bows and just add some uh, extra mechanics to it like magazine capacity and like you know full auto and stuff like that and you're pretty much done. <laughs> hmm. So Yeah, because that's that's one of the tricky things about modern RPGs that 
makes some great and makes some not so great is the fact that like with video games, when your character is firing a gun, it has to have the right feel to it. Yeah. And and what I'm looking for in RPGs that have a lot of gunplay in them is it needs to feel fast mm-hmm. and it, it has to it has to create kind of a tense environment where uh, you, you're not just kind of doing the the JRPG thing of standing in a field, taking turns whacking at each other you need to have like you know you might have to take cover you might have to you know worry about who can see you and and where people are you start to have to take a little bit more of a tactical view while still keeping Mm -hmm. in mind that you have a specific point of view of you are in this position in this battle yeah well just the fact that everyone is if, if everyone is using guns if you're using guns and the npcs are using guns just the fact that everyone is firing at range that's like a whole different dynamic than, you know, if you're just two dudes with a sword and you run up to each other and you start whacking at each other. Because yeah. the one guy might have a machine gun or a sniper rifle and he has like three times the range than you do because you have a pistol or a SMG or a shotgun. So you might want to shoot him, but meanwhile you have to cross like, you know, 300 feet of open ground before you can even do so. But he can hit you in the meantime. So you're like, you're moving from cover to cover, you know, you're doing all this stuff to avoid getting shot or maybe not take as much damage as, you know... Uh, no, as you, as you uh, well, you know what I mean. Yeah. I kind of lost my train of thought there, but yeah. <laughs> so that I, I found even just that adds like a whole new dimension to the to the lethality to the to the gameplay that a lot of people like don't even think of. Hmm. Now, when it comes to guns and RPGs, what are your thoughts on like hit charts? Like in uh, I think Aces and Eights is one of the more famous ones where you kind of like roll to see where your bullet hit. Um, they can be fun, but I don't really want to do it for every single shot because it just shows slows down the game. If I have to like start looking at this chart and start rolling like extra dice after every single bullet that I fire, it's maybe fun if like you know you hit like a critical hit or something, and then you're gonna like, oh, did this bullet like go into his eye or did it like pierce a lung or whatever? But if it's just like regular like combat like it should just be quick and easy you just roll like you know you roll to hit uh if you hit the person rolls damage and uh yeah that that, that that's it in my opinion mm-hmm. like i don't even like when they do like full outer rules where it's like oh you have to roll like uh two hits like six times for like each bullet then comes out of your gun like no just make that like one roll and just figure out make it like an area of effect or like you know something but yeah mm-hmm. Lou brings up another point here uh, when it comes to like the granularity of guns and RPGs. Uh, how like how much variance <laughs> do you feel there needs to be when it comes to like I don't know specific calibers and how much damage they do and and you know what the rate of fire would be or jamming and you know just kind of like small things that obviously affect real world uh, firearms but yeah. might make for kind of a slower, uh, a lot more plotting game experience. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, I kind of like archetypes when it comes to guns. I don't really like when you've got like a 44 Magnum and you've got a 357 Magnum and you've got a 50 Action Express. I just like when you have like a Magnum and then you've got a pistol and you've got a normal revolver and you've got like an assault rifle because an assault rifle in that case could be an AK-47, it could be an M4, it could be a Steyr Oak. I kind of like when you have just archetypes and then let the GM or the players like 
decide themselves what it is. That's how I run my. Uh, that's how I run, uh, uh, or that's how I wrote my, write my games rather. Because uh, I've seen games where they list literally stat out like you know every gun from the 1920s, and there's like barely <laughs> yeah. any difference. Like a 1911 is like not really any different stat wise than like you know a Savage uh, 1910 or whatever. So like maybe there's like a slight variance in like range or whatever, but. Like why why put all this effort in describing this gun and giving it its own stat if it's ultimately the same as the 1911 that's like next to it? So just make it an archetype. Just give, give me pistol, heavy pistol, revolver, heavy revolver, shotgun, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there can definitely when you introduce that degree of granularity, you also introduce yeah. ideas of okay, well, how does like wind speed and yeah. uh, and muzzle drop and and all these different like physics things that you have to factor into firing a real gun come in. And at that point you're just essentially every pull of the trigger turns into like a sniper and a spotter. And it, it just, it's a lot of bookkeeping. It's a lot of headache. Some people like that. There's actually some systems that do it like that, but that's not really what I enjoy. Mm hmm. And I'm a gun nut in real life. Like you know, I, f- I shoot guns. I've been I've been a member of a, a gun club here for like twelve years now, almost thirteen. So you know, I understand guns. I actually know how guns work. But that doesn't mean that I want them to be ultra realistic in my tabletop games and like have all these like you know, like you said, granularity and all these little little uh, finicky details. Like just just give me a nice basic system that I can use quickly and just kind of like skin to my heart's desire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think at the heart of it, when when people approach modern RPGs, what they're looking for is that like max pain experience. Yeah. Of I'm now gonna pick up two guns. I'm gonna jump uh, from one set of boxes yeah. to another and fire both of them at the same time. Because I mean, what it comes down to, it's the same thing with any RPG setting. It's all about the fantasy that everyone wants to recreate when they're playing these games. It's what moments from your favorite books, TV shows, movies, etc. do you want to, like, live out as your own character? Yeah. Yeah, I, I prefer that cinematic uh, feel myself. Some people like the Rainbow Six, like, you know, stuff, which is also fun. I've also done oh. that. But I like the, I like the kind of the John Woo or, like, you know, uh, yeah, like, just the, the 90s, 80s action movie style of, like, gunplay in my games, where, you know, getting shot once isn't necessarily the end you just you know you just tear uh, the sleeve of your t-shirt and you wrap it around <laughs> your wound and you 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 know and then uh, you go and kill some more terrorists in nakatomi plaza you know so <laughs> yeah i i will stand by uh my my statement that i made uh on legion of myth that die hard is a movie where uh, John McClane has disadvantage on every single attack roll yeah. that he makes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And he still somehow manages to uh, to come out on top. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And now, he's like basically like a level three character going up against like level six or seven terrorists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's interesting how. Uh, in all of the movies and, and video games and like all the media that we consume, we love to watch someone be outclassed and overcome those circumstances. But when yeah. you take people who are like, oh, yeah, I love Die Hard. I love Raiders of the Lost Ark. I love stuff like that. And you put them in an RPG environment. 
a lot of those same people will be like, well, this fight's not fair. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Yeah. Just just be smarter. Yeah. (laughs) There's... There's this thing that happened, I think it happened right around 3E, maybe even like Mm 3.5, where balance became such a thing in RPGs. Yeah. And I think at this point, like, one of the main services that the OSR can do is untrain that instinct out of Game Masters. Be like, no, it doesn't have to be balanced. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, you just have to play smart. Like, if if all you're... All you have is a pistol, and you know there's a guy behind some sandbag somewhere with a machine gun, and if he spots you, you know you're gonna get cut in half. Uh, find a way to maybe get around him stealthily and just like put a knife in his neck, or you know just shoot him in the back of the head with a silent with your silenced pistol. Like don't just like run in there and start engaging him one on one, and then whine when you know a burst from <laughs> a uh, a saw like you know uh, blows your head off. So mm-hmm. you have to just be uh, smart about it. Now, one thing that we've talked a little bit about, again, in, in previous uh, appearances that we've done together, mm-hmm. 5e is a class-based game. Yeah. A lot of the uh, modern games that I enjoy and you enjoy are skill-based. Yeah. So how do you go about kind of translating a class-based game like 5e or like, uh, you know, OSR, D&D, essentially, into something that kind of works with that modern setting where classes kind of exist, but not to the degree that you can like justify in a yeah. medieval setting. Uh, I just try to cover as many archetypes as I could. So the fighter has like a commando subclass. So, you know, you can play a SWAT dude, a soldier dude, a special forces dude, a mercenary, whatever. Uh, it also has a daredevil subclass, which is kind of like a mix between... Uh, you can be like Indiana Jones, or you could be like the guy from Drive, like, you know, Ryan Gosling from Drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could be like uh, the dudes from uh, uh, Point Break, you know, uh, like, uh, what's his face, Patrick Swayze from Point Break, who's yeah. like jumping out of airplanes and stuff like that, while robbing banks. Uh, yeah, just stuff like that. Uh, the wizard... Uh, has like a hacker subclass and also kind of like a magical like Sherlock Holmesian detective subclass like stuff like that so I tried to just cover like you know what I f- what I felt were like the common archetypes that most people would want to play and I just shoehorned them in there <laughs> but I have 24 subclasses so hopefully you know there's something for ev- everyone gotcha yeah I I do think you kind of need to if you are going to stick with like a class based system which if you're yeah. Putting it into the the five E mold or the D and D mold, you you have to. Um, it, it's best to have like that kind of breadth of options. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, I wanted to design the book. Uh, that's like another thing. I mm-hmm. uh, you talked about like how people take five E and beskin it completely. They give it their own setting and all that stuff. Mine doesn't do that. Mine is just. Subclasses, new backgrounds, uh, rules for firearms, equipment, and blah, blah, blah. And you can just combine it with your core books. And you can literally be like, okay, it's water deep, but it's the 21st century. There's like skyscrapers. There's like a statue of Elminster out in the bay. That's like the Statue <laughs> of Liberty. Yeah. Uh, you guys are like a SWAT team who's like, you know, reacting to violent crimes in the city. It's like, oh, there's, uh, there's this band of orcs who just robbed the bank. Go stop them. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. But you're just still using, like, normal 2014 5e at the core, but you're just applying my stuff on top of it. And that's, like, 
I designed it like that from the outset. So it's not like an entirely new system that you have to learn with its own little quirks. It's just, uh, yeah, it's literally a supplement. That's like what the word supplement means to me. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, you just put like the craziest idea in my head. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so Waterdeep, the 21st century or a magical version of the 21st century. Yeah. Uh, Xanathar has a giant mech body that he pilots. Oh, nice. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> Just like yeah. he sits at the top of this this thing that's big enough for him, so he has arms and legs. Yeah. And he can still fire his death rays, but he's also got, like, a missile launcher. But would you be, like, in your own mech fighting him? Or would you be, like, a team that's, like, inserted inside of his mech body and has to, like, fight their way to, like, its system to get to, like, the cockpit and, you know, shoot him with a rocket launcher or something? I could see either being fun. Yeah, yeah. Like, if it's literally a giant mech, like, as tall as, like, a skyscraper, that could be, like, a whole, like, dungeon, basically, where you're in the internals of, like, this mech, like, fighting past its security systems and stuff like that, just Mm. to get to the cockpit so you can drop some C4 on him. (laughs) Oh, man, like, modern dungeons. Now now you've got me thinking about, like... Yeah. Well, I mean, like, Savage... Not Savage Worlds. uh, Shadowrun kind of invent or you know showed us what that could be with like you know breaking into um corporate buildings and stuff like that that's a that's a yep. modern modernish modern set dungeon but other things like um you know like if you put something equivalent to a metal gear in your game yeah. you've got this like giant tank or giant mech breaking into that thing might be kind of a mini dungeon in and of itself depending yep. on how big it is or even just the, the concept of Metal Gear uh, itself, where you're, like, infiltrating Shadow Moses to stop, like, you know, some terrorists that took it over. Or you could do something like Black Mesa from, like, Half-Life. Yeah. Uh, uh, or, you know, going literally into Area 51. Like, there's all sorts of stuff that... There's, there's all sorts of dungeon crawls that you can do in, like, the modern setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dandy Lion had a question for me, apparently. Uh, my thoughts on armor class. Um... Well, I pretty much kept armor class as is uh, in my game, though I do have an optional system where armor class, uh, there's different armor classes for different sorts of attacks. So uh, your armor class against melee might be higher if you wear a certain armor uh, suit than it might be against uh, uh, firearms. And then the, the armor class against magic is different. So it's basically like, okay, what am I being hit with? A spell? Okay, now my AC is 14. Oh, I'm being shot with a shotgun? Okay, now my AC is 16. Oh, this guy is like stabbing me with a katana? Okay, now my AC is 12. You know, stuff like that. But that's like an optional rule. But for the most part, it's just like the standard 5e armor class system. I didn't want to mess with that too much. Hmm. Yeah, especially if you've kind of kept the the fantasy elements intact. Yeah. Yeah. Uh it it makes sense to have a little bit more armor present cuz I mean even if fantasy elements are intact I mean you you still would have people running around with swords even. Yeah. Yeah, which you could easily do. You could literally just be like, you know, some some uh, uh snake eyes guy from GI Joe who yeah. like uses Uzis and has a katana on his back. Like, you know, that stuff is cool. I'm fine mm-hmm. with that. Uh, the, the the exterminators that I mentioned because they go uh, so the whole plot is that there's all these 
ancient crypts and tunnels beneath the city because the city is like thousands of years old and it's like just been built up continually so you know at the top it's modern but there's like literally thousands of years of history beneath it so all these hidden crypts and dungeons and like you know uh maybe some wizard had like a lair somewhere like three thousand years ago and there's like scary stuff in there so the exterminators that go in there they they can still find like magical swords and stuff and they're supposed to report them to the government, but sometimes they don't. Because, yep. you know, it's useful. Like, you know, I'm dealing a lot with, like, golems, and I found, like, an anti-golem sword. So I'm keeping that shit. So, you know, they could literally go in there, like, you know, carrying a machine gun. But meanwhile, they have, like, this this ancient magical, magical sword, like, strapped on their back for, you know, when they run into situations that require it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, there, there's something cool. It, it seems like... It seems like players always want to like break the mold that you put them in where you're like, all right, we're doing a a modern set game. Someone always wants to be the dude who uses swords or when you're doing a fantasy game, someone always wants to be like a gunslinger. Yeah. Or my, well, Oh, just my, my, my least favorite favorite of those is when you're playing a superhero game, someone always wants to be a wizard. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Of course. Well, since uh, since the five E game is literally just you 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 drop it on top of the existing game, you can still use the old school classes. Mm. And uh, one of my characters that I had back in the day was like a time displaced like paladin, was like literally from like King Arthur times, and he was like he chased like a bad guy through like a time warp, and he ended up in modern times. So you know he's he's still running around with a sword and wearing armor, and he joined actually like a, a Hema uh, like group, like a historical European <laughs> martial arts like group. Yeah. And I, everyone's like, how the how the fuck does he know how to sword fight as well? It's like, well, he's literally from those days. But yeah, so he, he's literally running alongside dudes that might be running around with shotguns and pistols, and meanwhile he's engaging stuff with his magical King Arthur sword. So yeah, you can still do stuff like that. Hmm. Now, another project that you have uh, kind of recently been working on is uh, kind of an OSRified cyberpunk yeah. book. So t- yep. tell us a little bit about where that idea came from and and some of what you're you're hoping to, to pull off with uh, that particular product. Uh, well, cyberpunk kind of has like a little renaissance right now because of uh, Edge Runners, the anime, mm-hmm. and uh, people... People are just talking about cyberpunk a lot. The the game 2077 becomes really became really popular again, and I kind of caught the bug myself, especially after watching the anime. And I'd already planned to write a cyberpunk uh, game for uh, the basic experts co-punches system, uh, but I was like, I have some time to kill. Uh, my five ebook uh, is my editor is working on it right now. I don't really have to do anything uh, with it right now myself. So uh, I'm just going to do a side project. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try some OSR cyberpunk stuff. I've got all these all these rules that I wrote for simple modernity. I can use most of them for this as well. I just got to uh, do some custom classes, have rules for like cybernetics and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, let's see what comes of it. Plus, uh, there are a bunch of OSR cyberpunk games, but the people that write them, like, they're on a certain political spectrum, let's just say, for yeah. the most part. And they like to tell you how to play your games. Like, I know that Cyborg, which is the, the Morgborg Cyberpunk game, literally tells you that you can't be, like, uh, a, a corporate, like, guy. And you have to be, like, anti-capitalist. And it's like, I'll decide that. Like, I want to want, like, you know, like, playing a corporate agent is, like, some of the coolest shit you can do in the Cyberpunk setting, in my opinion. Mm. So, I just want to write a setting-neutral uh 
uh, non-political cyberpunk OSR game that just has like rules and people can just take them and you know run whatever cyberpunk uh, game they want with it. I even mentioned that uh, since it's OSR, you can literally take like the fantasy races like orcs and stuff, and you can do like you can combine the two. Not unlike another game that's out there, I say. <laughs> yep. So yeah, so you can literally do OSR Shadow One basically. So yeah, yeah that and. Uh, Mm, so good. Oh, just that doesn't make any sense to to put in as a rule. You can't be a corporate guy. I mean, yeah, I like yes. There's a lot of critique of corporatism in cyberpunk literature, but like at the same time, Johnny Mnemonic exists, and that yeah. whole movie is about a guy who works for the corporations. Yeah, he he, he was he wants nothing to do with like the the, the street samurai chick at first. He thinks he's like some 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 wild card that just annoys him. So yeah. Yeah, it's weird how people. Cyberpunk is one of those genres that aesthetically appeals to a lot of people. It's very cool looking. It's very sleek. There's lots of kind of interesting stuff, and, and it it plays into that thing that a lot of nerdy guys uh, specifically like, and that idea of uh, you know I wear a long black leather coat and sunglasses yeah. and carry a katana in a neon soaked city that that fantasy exists in pretty much yeah. every every male nerd out there and several of the female nerds too yeah yeah um, pretty much but at the same time there's a lot of like a lot of people try to you know bring in some political baggage with cyberpunk which is there it's there from like the beginning of the genre but i don't think it's a necessary part of the genre and it's one that i think is overemphasized a lot it's it's not as deep as they make it out to be and people especially modern people they get hung up on the punk part and punk to them is like you're anti-fascist you're anti-capitalist you know like modern punk is basically like you know you're like a marxist i mean that's just what it is and uh they get hung up on that and it's like well if if you in a cyberpunk setting you have to be like you know an anti-corporate anti-capitalist like you know uh underdog who fights the system it's like no i want to be the corporate agent who hunts those underdogs like that sounds cool to me (laughs) yeah and you like at the same time um even if you do kind of like want to overthrow the corporations that doesn't mean like you want to um turn like night city into portland oregon yeah you, no you might have a different vision of of things maybe here's an interesting idea for a uh, a cyberpunk character uh play someone who's got kind of the the conan mentality of i hate civilization yeah like like play go full-on go full-on ted kaczynski with it be like i want to tear all of this down and then go live in the woods yeah which doesn't even mean that you you, you like the uh, the street punks either. Like you, right. you could hate both. You could hate the corporations and the street punks that just like you know that are just as annoying in their own way. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like that's I, I feel like that's an element of cyberpunk that could very easily be present. Yeah, uh, that a lot of people just haven't messed with this this whole uh, kind of luddite mentality of yeah we have all of this but we've essentially sold our souls to yeah. be able to splice our DNA with other species and, and do all kinds of crazy things like this. And it's not worth it. So let's yeah. start over. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you, you brought up Neuromancer, uh, I think before the, the stream and, um, 
that the book itself, like the story, definitely has a political message, I guess. But that doesn't mean that the characters in the book do. Uh, mm. uh, uh, Case, was it Case? Chase yeah. Case, the main, the main character? He's just a hacker, and all he wants is to get his ability to, for, to hack back. Because, you know, they, he, he messed with the wrong group, and they gave him, like, some toxin that, like, basically messed up his uh, his new ones. And now he can't, uh, you know, uh, go online anymore. Uh, Molly Millions, she's literally just, like, an ex-hooker turned street samurai who, you know, is in, the, in it for the money. Mm. Like... They're not, they're not out there to, ta- to tear down the system. They're literally just mercenaries that are taking a job. And I think those kinds of characters are entirely valid in, like, a cyberpunk game, too. Like, not everyone has to be, like I said, like, you know, I'm, I'm finding the man, dude. I'm fighting the system. Like, no, I'm just, I'm just here to make credits and uh, maybe I'll survive long enough to be one of the bigwigs someday. And even to, like, to, to combine the ideas that, that we've been kind of batting back and forth here, I think a cool cyberpunk campaign would be you play as a team of corporate agents and you basically have to take down someone who is has kind of got that unabomber mentality of we're gonna destroy everything and start over you know technology's bad and you you have to kind of confront both extremes of that i i think that would be a cool story to to interact with yeah definitely and even like Shadowrun has that. That's like uh, like a whole faction that are like secret police that hunt down Shadowrunners. Mm-hmm. And I actually made a character that was like one of those. And it was like one of my favorite characters that I ever played. Yeah, because it was something different. And that's the, I think I think what we're kind of getting at here is with cyberpunk. Cyberpunk at its core is a a genre where morality is entirely shades of gray. It's not, there's mm-hmm. no black and white at all. And a lot of yeah. people are trying to force a black and white morality yeah. onto cyberpunk, just yep. kind of like with, with whatever their, the political viewpoint is. The whole point of cyberpunk is essentially life is completely meaningless because like you can make people in test tubes at this point. So yeah, like what is anyone's life worth at that point? And this is the environment that you now find yourself adventuring in. Yeah. Uh, I think that's just a consequence of like uh, the current zeitgeist of like everything is political. Mm-hmm. There's a certain contingent, especially uh, online on Twitter, that like consider everything is political. They'll, they'll literally argue that uh, Tetris is political. So, Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised with all the things going on in the world right now with Russia that there hasn't been a call to, like, boycott Tetris. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> or, like, any of those, like, games and stuff that like that, that come out of Russia, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised nobody has tried to boycott me yet because of my name, my <laughs> Viktor Gotchev name. But I guess I could easily be Ukrainian as well, so, yeah. Yeah. And it's not even my real, my real name anyway, so whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Just adapt a new alias. Yep. But yeah, th- there's a lot to kind of like, there's a lot to play with in cyberpunk. Even, here's a question that I have mm-hmm. uh, that just kind of popped into my head when it comes to cyberpunk. Would you consider Judge Dredd to be cyberpunk? Um, yeah. It's cyberpunk adjacent anyway, and heavily cyberpunk adjacent, but kind of it kind of mixes a couple of genres together because... The mega city itself is cyberpunk to mm-hmm. me, and then if you go outside of the city, it, it turns into more straight-up post-apocalypse because you, you've got like the cursed earth and stuff like that, like the wasteland outside of the cities. Yeah, 
and then you've also got like space stuff, so it also goes into like more hard hard sci-fi. So it's kind of like a mishmash, but I think at its core, it's definitely cyberpunk, because you know it's a big dystopian mega city with like gangs and cybernetics and like all sorts of stuff. So yeah, because mm-hmm. I mean that's now that I think about it, Judge Dread is essentially what I was going for in talking about playing a team of corporate agents going after. Uh, like mm-hmm. an anarchist, because yeah, that's what the judges are. Yeah. Or you could even just be like like Judge Ven himself, a straight up right. cop, and just go after criminals. Mm-hmm. Like in Cyberpunk 2020 and uh, Cyberpunk Red, you can be like Max Tech, which are like the super SWAT dudes that like go after cyber psychos and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You could easily like do a campaign where you're just like a team of those, or you could do a campaign where you're uh, Meditech, which are like the private like ambulance uh, corp. And basically, uh, rich guys they pay for like uh, health, uh, uh, like health insurance. And if they flatline, this heavily armed like special unit of like uh, paramedics show up to get them out of trouble, basically. Mm-hmm. And they'll just shoot. They'll just straight up shoot, like you know, shoot you in the face if you're like in the way. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think stuff like that is cool. There, there's this idea I've had for a while with with cyberpunk. Uh, it, and I got it from reading through the Interface Zero uh, book for Savage Worlds. Mm-hmm. But because I live in a large-ish city in the mm-hmm. South, yeah, I think a lot about how, uh, you know, like urban culture interacts with, uh, you know, U.S. Southern culture and the way those two things kind of like butt up against each other and intermingle. Yeah. I, if I were to run a cyberpunk game right now, it would be set in a mega city or a sprawl, whatever, you know, terminology you want to use. That's like Dallas to Charlotte. Oh yeah. And it would all be like this, this interaction between like, essentially I want to see like what good old boy street samurais would be like like i, I yeah. want to see like some some street samurai that like styles themselves after like a gunslinger or something yeah. like that yeah yeah that would be cool like with a big 10 gallon hat yeah or you know you've you've got the scary judge dread type police force but the, the new texas rangers like who knows yeah. like you know like coming after you with like giant six guns and stuff like that yeah that would be mm. fun i feel like there'd be a lot more neon but not not like the synthwave neon. It would be yeah. like, I don't know, like giant elaborate honky tonk signs. Yeah. Which, again, this this is just kind of making my imagination run wild. So once uh, this book is out, I, I need to put together my like southern yeah. cyberpunk. Oh yeah, definitely. Just write a supplement for it and do that. <laughs> uh, but Shadowrun actually has some elements of that. It, uh, it has Lone Star, which is like you know the the private police force, and obviously you know. They're uh, they're based in Texas. Uh, there's like a whole uh, there's like a whole setting thing where it's like the Midwest and there's like the Indian nations and like stuff like that. So they actually paid some attention to that. Some attention to that. A lot of other cyberpunk is like yeah, it's future Seattle, Seattle, future California. That's it. But yeah. The the other thing that I think would be interesting about uh, cyberpunk South would be. In like the the lands outside of the sprawl, you'd have like cyber rednecks. 
basically. Yeah. You, you still have people that want to live off the grid and live off the land. So, like, imagine, like, just trailer parks, but they have real mutants in them. Yeah. And, and their shotguns fire, like, lasers and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Oh, how about cyberpunk in like something like New Orleans or like you know that oh. kind of area where you can mix like uh, voodoo and stuff with cyberpunk? Like, uh, imagine if like some some crazy hacker uploads his consciousness to the web and he starts like uh, uh, presenting himself as like Baron Samedi, oh, like as a Loa, yes. like you know stuff like that. And there's like maybe like there's like some crazy street gang who like you know the voodoo boys or whatever who like yeah. worship him. Like, yeah, you can do all sorts of stuff with that. Mm-hmm. Now, now you've again, you've got me thinking. What if there was yeah. like a because there's like you know, injectable things like you know, you can shoot diseases at people have dart guns yeah. in a lot of cyberpunk games. What if they had this like essentially, uh, like voodoo doll thing mm-hmm. where they shot you with a dart and then they had like they got access to your, your nervous system through nanites oh, or yeah, something yeah. like that, and they've got they have, but it's a voodoo doll. And so they, uh, they like, poke you with this the cyber voodoo doll and you feel like you're getting stabbed. That's pretty cool. I might have to steal that. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, Ma- Max, you get it. You get it here in chat. You live in Alabama. Yeah. You understand. Yeah. Oh, no wonder. That explains a lot. Yeah, it's... And that, like, that's... To get back to our, like, mutual admiration for uh, Monster Hunter International and, and Larry Korea... That's one of the things I really enjoy about that series is it's set in the South and yeah. incorporates a lot of that. Yeah, some of these people are rednecks that are also part of this elite paramilitary unit. So Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, and then you've got like Earl Harbinger who's like literally like old school redneck because yeah. he's literally from like the nineteen tens, like originally, I think. Like like mm-hmm. nineteen hundred, I think he's born. So yeah. <laughs> and even like Sam Haven. Uh, mm-hmm. rest in peace uh, yeah <laughs> with with the the Winchester and the cowboy hat that that's all cool yep. yeah but then you've also got like the city boys like uh like Owen and uh, mm-hmm. you know there's like the, the teams from Seattle and like all sorts of stuff yeah yeah the- uh, yeah the, the the ones that I mentioned the the, the prequels are actually set like for a good part in, in New Orleans so yeah yeah, there's all kinds of cool stuff that's yet to be mined in cyberpunk. I, I, I was I came into this interview kind of down on cyberpunk because so much of it tends to be very samey. But I think you've kind of awakened some creativity in me as we've yeah. been talking about. Well, this. that's good. That's kind of my goal with like the stuff I write. I like doing for the most part. I like doing setting neutral stuff and just giving people the tools the tools they need to come up with their own stuff within that specific framework. So, you know, I want to do like a modern fantasy setting. So, well, here's here's Simple Modernity or my 5e book. I want to do Cyberpunk. Well, here's, uh, you know, uh, Sin City 2089. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to write some games that have like a specific setting because uh, I'm planning like a, a space opera OSR game called Rivets and Rockets. And that has that's gonna have like a very specific setting, but for the most part, yeah, like I said, I like those, uh, I like giving those toolkits because that's what got me interested in tabletop games to begin with. Like I said, like GURPS, uh, D twenty Modern, like those kinds of games. Gotcha. Now, before we uh, or as we kind of reach the end of our episode here, mm-hmm. this, this has really flown by because yeah, 
This has been a great <laughs> conversation. Tell, tell us a little bit about this Kickstarter that you've got uh, coming soon here, because uh, I want people to go uh, jump on this. I'll, I'll drop the link here in chat. Um, uh, yeah, it's on the pre-launch right now, so you can click notify me on launch, and you know, you'll know you be notified the moment it launches, which I'm probably going to do the 1st of November, so literally in like, how many days is that now? Uh, one, two, six days? Six-ish mm-hmm. days, maybe like about a week for you guys, because I'm like a little bit ahead. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just going to run for a month, and hopefully I'll make enough money to, <laughs> to uh, get the art that I want. Uh, right now I'm at 107 followers, which is apparently pretty good. I've, I've been only doing this for like two weeks now, so 107 after two weeks is pretty, uh, is pretty decent. And uh, yeah, what? Well, <laughs> anything specific you want to know about it? Like, not sure what to tell, what to talk about here. Yeah, I mean, like, what can people, what what can people expect from this? I obviously, you know, gear and guns that that brings to mind, uh, you know, a certain type of uh you know book that, that this will be coming out but you know what what should people kind of look to uh this to to be for their uh their their modern 5e games um well i'll just list off uh, some of the stuff i have on the actual kickstarter page uh it's 200 plus pages it has rules and descriptions for 48 different types of firearms from pocket pistols to assault rifles machine guns and even rail guns uh it has rules and descriptions for 42 types of special ammunition and 28 different attachments and modifications for these firearms. So I've got hollow point bullets, I've got armor piercing bullets, I've got suppressors, I've got red dot sights, I've got, you know, the whole shebang. Uh, I've got rules for magical bullets, so you can have like literal like Vorpal bullets. Uh, I've got rules for explosives, even nuclear uh, explosions. I've got rules for nu- uh, suitcase nukes and for... Uh, uh, what are the big missiles called? Cruise missiles. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, let's see, what else? I've got 24 different subclasses, two for each main class. So you've got the 12 core classes in like 5e. So I wrote two subclasses for each. Uh, I've got modern themed armor. Uh, let's see, what else do I have? I've got 20 modern themed backgrounds. So uh, there's a background to be like a security contractor, a programmer, a hobo, uh, a, 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 a corporate guy. You know, all sorts of stuff. Uh, I've got new feats. 32 new feats. Uh, I've got new skills. So there's a skill for uh, demolitions, for science, like engineering, like, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, stuff that the core 5e skills don't really cover. Uh, I've got new fighting styles for, like, fighters and, like, other classes that use those fighting styles. I've got even got, like, new spells. 27 new spells, all modern-themed. Uh, I've got a cantrip called Finger Guns, where you literally just go pew 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 and you shoot like horse <laughs> nice. bullets out of your fingers. Um, yeah, I've got uh, oh, I've got rules on how uh, weapon design is affected by different cultures. Like a dwarf wouldn't design a gun the same way as a human does, and the like, same for elves, same for orcs, same for goblins. You know, stuff like that. Uh, let's see what else. I've got optional rules, like uh, I have an optional rule for exploding dice uh, damage. So to up, up the lethality of, uh, you know, gun combat. And yeah, just all sorts of stuff like that. I have cool art. I've got a custom character sheet. Yeah, so... <laughs> I've, got, I've got a whole slew of things. Should, uh, should people expect art from a, uh, a, a basic expert? Oh yeah, there? definitely. <laughs> yeah. He's already done a couple pieces for me. He's currently working on a big piece that's based on Heat, the movie Heat. 
Nice. And it's basically going to be an elf and an orc having a sh- uh, elf and orc bank robbers having a sh- the shootout with the police, like you know, from behind the car and stuff like that, mm-hmm. while wearing like the duffel bags and the suits. So uh, yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah, I've got a bunch of artists. I've got Adam Black. Some people might know them. Uh, I've got uh, Carlos Castil- Castillo, Castillo, mm-hmm. who's a great artist. He's he's pretty well known in OSR circles. He does like that black and white, like really old school art. Uh, I've got an artist called Galen, who's who's uh, great. He's actually done the bulk of my art so far. He draws really nice guns. Uh, he's drawn some of the subclasses and stuff like that. So yeah, it's gonna be filled with art. That's pretty much what I'm doing the Kickstarter for. Pretty much for just to get the art finished. Because writing is like 90% done. <laughs> gotcha. Now, uh, Lou is asking here about stretch goals. Do you have any like kind of big stretch goals planned? Um, um, no, because yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's the digi- it's, uh, the TSR digital, soft cover, and hard cover. I'm not really doing any stretch goals because it's my first Kickstarter. And there's a lot of horror, sto- horror stories of stretch goals like going wrong and like basically... Uh, projects going way over budget because they misjudged, you know, what their stretch goals could do. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm already dealing with the fact that uh, originally I had it said that people had to pay the printing costs if they wanted to hardcover or the softcover. They had to pay the, the pay the ad cost printing, so they had to pay like you know an extra like five bucks to like get the book printed and sent to them. But uh, Kickstarter told me that wasn't allowed, even though other p- campaigns are doing that all over the place. But that's a completely different issue so yeah i'm already dealing with that so i don't want to like pull extra uh you know extra work uh yeah i don't i just don't want to have extra work involved <laughs> with all these stretch goals and stuff right yeah and i think for what you're for what you're doing here i i mean like stretch goal wise the the only thing i think of is like just more guns which at yeah. a certain point uh especially with 5e and the way that like weapons work in 5e unless you're making some like major overhauls to that particular system at a certain point you're just talking about like reskinning the same weapons yeah pretty much i've already got like pretty much all the archetypes i could think of so i I wouldn't even even know what to add more except for maybe like sci-fi guns and that's kind of like outside of the scope of this like the most sci-fi thing i have is like a real gun because that's Sort of like in the in the realm of like near future, you know. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to go like full on like laser gun and plasma casters and stuff like that. That I might do that for like a later supplement. I have like I want to do like a monster manual for this. Uh, I want to do like a uh, a supplement that's a, with like vehicle rules and has like subclasses that are like you know professional drivers and stuff like that. Uh, I might do like a cyberpunk sci-fi like uh, edition, like I said. So. I'd rather just keep that for, like, you know, future supplements and just kickstart those separately and get more money. I mean, what? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, Victor, this has been a great conversation, and we definitely need to do this again. And yeah. I, I need to add Southern Fried Cyberpunk uh, to my list of ideas and see if, yeah, I can actually, see if I can actually get something out there. <laughs> Well, if you want, if you want to write a uh, like, you know, an addition to my OSR Cyberpunk thing, you have my full permission. So, I will. And yeah, we, we also need to get you on uh, the Basic Expert show sometime soon on Mondays. I mm-hmm. think that'll be fun. Yeah, I, all I need to do at that point, or, or to to make that happen, is I just need to like clear it with um, my family and make sure that yeah. that everyone's going to be good to go with that. 
Um, yeah, definitely. But yeah, I that's a priority for me moving forward. Is I want to I want to get on a stream with you and John at some point. Yeah. Yep. We have lots of fun on those. So yeah. Absolutely. And we're kind of all like like-minded individuals. So yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. Well, Vic, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a blast. Yeah, you're welcome. I, yeah, I, I've really enjoyed our conversation tonight. Hopefully, I wasn't too much of a uh, stumbling, mumbling fool. I always worry about that, but yeah. <laughs> you are all good, man. Don't worry about it. Nice. And uh, to let you guys know what's coming up uh, next week, I am going to be talking to uh, Chantel Jones from The Swamp. Uh, she'll be on here to talk about the uh, old school adventures that she designs. Uh, she actually she reached out to me uh, wanting to be on the show. Uh, so, you know, I'll be looking at her work and we'll be talking about her specific, uh, you know, take on the RPG world and all that stuff. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to meeting yeah. a new person next week and, uh, having a, a conversation, uh, with her about all the cool stuff that, that she's been doing in her specific, uh, corner of the gaming world. So until then guys, whether you rolled a one or a 20, I'm so glad that you guys rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard. I won't see you before Halloween, so have a happy Halloween, and I will see you guys next time. Bye.